You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of The Driven website and also Renew Economy. We are continuing our series today of key presentations from the Electric Vehicle Transition Conference that we hosted in Sydney in late August and a fascinating conference it was. We heard from lots of different people, politicians, um, analysts, academics, makers of electric vehicles, makers of charging stations and a lot of other experts who are involved in some way or another in electric vehicles and the transition that lies before us. Now, electric vehicles, of course, are not just about the machinery that you drive on wheels and the charging machinery that um, you use to put the energy back into the car. A lot of the key part of this is going to be the software that links all this together. So imagine having software that dictates how and when and all the opportunities you can to link the charging stations to electric vehicles and back and forth, how it all interacts with the grid. And that's one of the key roles being played by companies such as GreenSync. And uh, the CEO, Phil Blythe, I think has become quite well known in the Australian energy market and now increasingly in the electric vehicle market. It's actually quite fascinating to see all these software manufacturers and the inverter manufacturers and other people heavily involved in the renewables transition all putting their minds now to how and the role of electric vehicles and how they all link together. GreenSync recently announced a very important deal in New Zealand in Wellington um, using their software and their know-how to integrate electric vehicles in with the local grid and Um, Of course, New Zealand is a bit further down the electric vehicle track than Australia, but they're hoping to do this in Australia sometime soon. And I found this a pretty interesting perspective of what we might expect in the future and how these technologies can work to help us all. So here we are, Phil Blythe, he's the founder and CEO of GreenSync. Hello everyone. Uh, So look, um, I just might kick it off the... Uh, talk today before we get into some questions to give you a bit of an understanding of, of myself. I've spent 20 years in the tech industry. Uh, I've been running as effectively tech companies coming from the aerospace industry originally. Uh, I came into the energy industry about 10 years ago. Uh, my view of the, at the time when climate change became uh, on the radar as a significant challenge to society what are we going to do when we actually start to be successful with uh, getting renewables into our grids? What happens when we actually start to see renewable penetrations of, you know, north of 20%? We introduce intermittency, which comes with uh, solar and wind, but also the, the different types of devices we, we connect. What do we do then? So that was the, how I came into the energy industry. Uh, it's how I came to, to found GreenSync as a company, uh, and that's the company I've been running for the last 10 years. Um, so just to briefly summarise what, like, what do we do? Um, we're an energy tech company, um, and, and what our, I guess our mission statement is, is to really connect millions of, of distributed energy resources, the smaller types of distributed energy resources, into our grids. And the purpose of this, of just connecting them in, is not just to do it for the, you know, for the hell of it, 
but to bring flexibility, which is balanced back to the system. So if you introduce intermittency, the balancing the, the uh, capability that we need to, to, to provide back into the grids is, is flex. And flex comes with control. So control could come through the way that we dispatch batteries, for example. It could be the way that we schedule electric vehicles. It could be the way that we actually have dispatchable solar systems that go on our rooftops. No longer do we just inject energy randomly into the grid, that we actually control the, the rate and the, and the amount of energy that we inject in our grids through different times of days. So that really gets into the concept of, of turning really our grid into a marketplace where we're exchanging value between rooftops and garages, uh, between the grid operators and, and end consumers who are plugging their devices into the grid. And to, you know, to maybe just get straight to the punchline, you know, we basically have a, a view that every smart device getting connected to our grids today, we need to have standards by which makes them smarter and capable of behaving in, in dynamic ways. And if we don't, then we're, we're, we're really shooting ourselves in the foot. But, so I'll come to that later on. But that's what we do as a technology company. And effectively, we provide over the last 10 years uh, technology to utilities and, and grid operators around the world. Um, so, as I said, grids are under pressure. Um, you can sort of imagine the Freddie Mercury song in the background. Um, look, and they're under pressure for different reasons. And so the, the growth of distributed uh, resources comes in a few different forms. Um, solar is our big challenge, as, as Josh just, uh, just mentioned then. Uh, it is a huge challenge in Australia, the amount of solar that's going in. Uh, but that's not the case in, in Europe, for example. Uh, electric vehicles, well, certainly in Germany is one of them, but in the rest of Europe... Electric vehicles is one of the biggest challenges. Um, so you see a few dots around the, around the place where uh, electric vehicles are, are actually driving uh, systemic change into the grids and putting them under pressure uh, for, for the, in terms of capacity, in terms of fluctuations throughout the day. Uh, and that's really sort of driving uh, certainly uh, questions from, from our friends at utilities. What do we do about this? And how is this going to, to shape up and, and affect our future? Um, and there's another aspect to grids, and this is a global statistic, um, but it just reflects really that the fact that due to climatic variations during the, the season, during the year, during the fact that we have redundancy in the systems, there's a lot of the infrastructure that doesn't get used for very long during the, during the, the year. The, the classic low duration curve, the idea that for a very small period of time, there's a very large percentage of the infrastructure that's being, that's, uh, being utilised for, for the very short periods. That means there is carrying capacity in the, the infrastructure if we uh, get better at figuring out when we, we utilise that capacity. Now, uh, I think through, throughout this morning there's been a few questions raised about how do we, what do we do in Australia about electric vehicles uptakes uh, and, you know, what is it that's sort of holding us back? And I figured that maybe I've got the solution for Australia. Uh, and... The solution is to talk about something that's, that really gets us going, that really sort of gets under our skin. And that's... <laughs> and when we think of the All Blacks, you know, losing to the All Blacks in the Bledisloe Cup, really gets us and we think, oh, we've got to do better. Or we think of Pavlova and uh, the fact that the New Zealanders think Pavlova came from New Zealand. Oh, it really frustrates us. Um, but interestingly, 80% of their energy does come from renewables, hydro mainly. Uh, it's a very high-density hydro, particularly in the South, uh, South Island. Um, they've got very aggressive emissions uh, 
targets. And interestingly, when you've got a very high penetration renewables grid, it's actually hard to actually get those addition, additional emissions reductions. You can't just shut down a coal plant because they don't have many. Um, so those emissions tar tasks, the targets are actually hard to get. And this has driven the New Zealand government to think very carefully about the role of transport. Uh, because transport does play a big, a big uh, role in, in their overall emissions. Now, interestingly, they project by 2021 64,000 vehicles on the road. Now, I can guarantee you Australia is nowhere near that target. So, what are they doing right? And you know, do we really want to be beaten by New Zealand? I mean, really, that's that's you know, some, at least some vein of, of thread that, that Australians can Australians can hold on to. But there are a lot of things they're doing right. Um, uh, and, you know, really, I think, interestingly also, they're talking about 100% of, of uh, new car sales by 2030, uh, and that's double the target that I just saw on, coming onto the board this morning. So they are being much more aggressive. This is very possible. People who blame the, the you know, not having availability of cars, I don't think that makes sense to me if, if our neighbours are able to put targets like that right in front of us. So... Anyway, so, let, so what I'll do talk, uh, to talk a little bit about um, actually a practical example of what we're doing in New Zealand with EVs and our technology to really get EV charging at scale. Um, so we've worked with Wellington Electricity. Uh, Wellington Electricity has about 176,000 customers, not a huge distribution grid, um, not nearly as big as um, Essential that Josh just discussed or not nearly as big as Transgrid. Uh, but nonetheless, it is, it's the capital city of, of, of uh, New Zealand and there's a high density of fleets in, in the capital. So it is probably the highest concentration in New Zealand of, of electric vehicles. Um, this partnership has really been looking at the problem of the EVs but looking at it in the medium term and looking at the business models by which Wellington Electricity can look at mobilising you know, a plan for New Zealand uh, to deal with the problem and deal with the problem not when it comes and, and deal with the, the aftermath, but dealing with the problem now so that there's a sensible pathway to introduce electric vehicles and, and to, to enable them to have aggressive targets and not be, to be held back. And really real, that starts by having a, a, a business model associated with, with the program. So the three-stage project is, looks something like this. Um, a technology showcase to demonstrate the multiple charging technologies, but really at that stage, before we even got there, we really had to run a business model, business case that looked out to 20, 2030, 2040, to say what's the overall cost to, to the network uh, for, in, for not in, introducing smart charging and managed charging across the, the grid. Now, what it means is higher cost of infrastructure. And if you project out that planners do it all the time, as Rochelle will certainly... Uh, agree that planners know and can, can figure out what the additional cost would be if we just have, we, it means more infrastructure. Now that, that higher infrastructure cost can run, easily run in the billions of dollars, I'll bring some examples up later, and that means that we need to think that's a very solid business case. If you can, if you can plan far out ahead and you, you can see a, a way to in, introduce this technology that's going to negate the need for that additional infrastructure, there's a clear way you can argue, argue with regulators, with effectively cost justify the, the program to exist in the first place. So a technology showcase to demonstrate the charging and provide that business case. Um, pilots, piloting with fleet managers uh, and retailers 
to enable the services to unlock value for customers. So the first one is to technically make sure it doesn't break the grid. The second one is to say, how do we actually get value out of it? So not only does your smart charging um, do something for society, but then I, as a consumer, do I get a lower tariff? Do I actually get some rebates for actually having smart charging on my network? Now, if you want to drive uh, the uptake, you've got to provide carrots uh, in order to, to see that those, those incentives flow back to, con to consumers. And finally, um, deliver on a, on a roadmap that you're working across the industry with the retailers, with the regulators, with the networks to actually scale it. Um, no one wants to do pilots and, and trials with it that go nowhere or just work in one small region of the capital that can't, go, can't scale out to the countryside. You need to look at it, so zoom out and look at across a network level to really uh, do the maths on how it scales through it through an entire network. Um, so technically, what we've done, um, we've used our uh, platform, uh, the De Decentralized Energy Exchange, the DEX program, that we use across all types of asset classes, solar, storage, EVs. This example, we're just using DEX to effectively uh, integrate uh, EV charging systems in, into, the, into the exchange. Um, now, what that does, it's an open access capability that so it can plug into any charge network it can uh, in this case we're using good measure technology you could use charge fox or or any types of smart charging um, infrastructure um, so it's it's really it's technology neutral um, now what it gives to the utilities is gives this real-time visibility the the networks real-time visibility of what's happening on every network segment across their network so it doesn't matter if you're on a small residential feeder or you're in the middle of the city there is, for each segment of the network, there's, a, there's an understanding of what those charging capacities are that are, going, that are coming off the, the EV fleets. And importantly, the, what the, the, the concept of dynamic limits can be set through dynamic connection agreements. So the, the networks are agreeing with the customers that there will be boundaries or limits provided on those connections. And they can move, if there's a shortage of supply, that they can, they can move that, that limit down. So effectively, it's not instructing the system, but it's providing a dynamic window where the EV charge systems can operate without breaking anything. Uh, and so that's effectively what we've demonstrated together across the charge fleet. I think we've done about seven sites already in the, in the first phase as a technology demonstrator, scaling out across the network in the, in the subsequent phases. Uh, so the next phase, so that's, that was the phase that we've just completed with Wellington Electricity. We're moving to the next phase where we're actually moving into uh, the pilot where we're uh, aggregating charge flexibility to use in virtual power plants. So this is where you get to the monetization phase. So we've, we've, we've demonstrated we, can't, we won't break the network when we install fast chargers. Now how do we demonstrate that someone who, who adopts a smart charger can actually get uh, either a lower tariff or they can even get money back in, into their pockets through virtual power plants. Uh, so values... Uh, Create to customers, as I said, a couple of ways is either virtual power plants might be one way, just a lower tariff or just a good deal from a network or from a retailer is another way um, in deregulated markets. And so we have many of the, I think we have uh, five of the major retailers across New Zealand that we're working with on coming up with deals. So again, uh, industry-wide participation is really important for this to, to, to make it work. Um, customer choice, so we're avoiding lock-in, so you're not tied into one retail program. So that the idea is that there's, you know, you can have your choice. You put in a charge system, you can then take it, chop it to one retailer and, and the next. You're not locked into one 
single retail firm uh, or one deal. Um, and the, the final one is that um, if the network potentially needs to utilise that capacity for saving even further or further, driving further efficiencies of the networks, they might even participate in providing value back to consumers as well. So really, this is the value side for, for consumers. They can actually now start to use that smart charging infrastructure as effectively an asset for the consumers to, to provide value to the grid. And DEX, as a, as a marketplace, enables compensation to flow back to consumers as a result. Um, so just to talk a little bit beyond New Zealand, um, as I said, New Zealand, I think it's a... Uh, certainly in our region, it's one of the only places where we have the number of vehicles on the road today. Uh, we, unfortunately, we don't really have the, 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 the volume in Australia to really be able to do demonstration on scale. However, we are looking at this globally. We, as a technology company, we deploy our technology uh, certainly wider than the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, and really, what, what lessons can we take out of what we did in New Zealand that are applicable more broadly across uh, and networks around the world, and what does that mean for EV charging in, in general? Um, so really, the smart charging business model, I mean, and really, so what, what have we learned about it? I mean, firstly, it's really strong collaboration with, with industry. Um, it, I can't say to you, there's no point in going to a, re, a regulator um, with, a, with a thesis after, or you know, once you've spent the money, I think you, you basically need to write the investment case and spend time with the regulators up front. In the case of New Zealand, we've very much had uh, the New Zealand government support and the regulators' support to do this. It's a, it's a long-term business case uh, and a plan, but uh, going in there with full government support is, is, has made life uh, much easier than fighting battles post hoc. Um, Network-wide long-term business case. Uh, don't try to do it on a council-by-council council level or a street-by-street. Street. It just doesn't stack up. But if you do it across an entire network and you do it across a long enough, uh, you know, a 10-year time frame uh, through to 2030, I think was the business case that we, we did, then you get a very strong uh, price signal coming in for bringing smarter capabilities rather than uh, spending on infrastructure. Uh, and as I said, I, uh, yeah, the third one, again, I've just already stated that, which is plan for scale at a state or national level. Um, certainly New Zealand is a few million people. It's the size of New South Wales. That's the type of scale that we really are state by state in Australia. National is probably too complex, but certainly at a statewide level is the level we need to be thinking about uh, to adopt these, these types of plans. Um, and look, the fourth one is just get started. There's no, you just absolutely don't know everything before you start. And if this is a, a journey. I don't think anyone needs to you know, have a, a plan for 10 years uh, to be able to, uh, to prosecute the thing on day one. But you do need to get started. The first trial we did in within three months and proved to the regulator that we, the technology was there, that we could do this, clears us for state, the second stage gates. Um, UK Power Networks, this is, up, this is another one in, in the UK that we've just started. Um, we're doing our first deployments early next year. To give you some idea, they have no more than, no less than seven EV programs going on across their network, which is a sort of the greater London area in the sort of southeast of, of the UK. Uh, seven programs of EG, EV, different types of EG, EV charging. The problem with them, those trials, is that without ways to ultimately pu pull them into some sort of uh, platform, there's no way for them to continue those programs on. So the view is they want to take those trials and keep implementing them uh, and, 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 develop and evolving them over time. So uh, in the UK, we'll be integrating many of those different EV charging systems over the course of the next five years. 
So really, that's uh, um, really all I had to say. And, and what I, where I wanted to really sum up was um, this example uh, is from Norway. And as you might know, Norway is one of the uh, places in the world that has the highest uh, growth rate of EVs. It's about 50% of its charge of its new new fleet are, are EVs. Um, so they did some studies and looked at the 1.9 million, 1 .9 million uh, EVs that they expect to hit the roads over the next, uh, by, by 2040. Uh, and they did the numbers and came up with a, uh, the Norwegian kroner of about um, 11 billion kroner, which is about $2 billion. Um, that was going to be the cost uh, through to 2040 to get those cars on the road, which is equates in Australian dollars to about $1,000 per vehicle. Um, it gives you an idea of the of the cost that the implicit cost of not doing anything. Now I can guarantee you a, a software a smart solution is going to come in a lot under a long way under two billion dollars for 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 the Norwegians over the next uh, 10, 15, uh, probably 20 years actually. Um, but yeah, again, they're already at the 50% mark today. So when we talk about you know 50% by 2030 or 2035, they're already there. Um, and you know I. Back, you know, and I was joking about the New Zealand thing, but you know, for Australia, it's you know we're going to be left way behind in terms of the curve. We've got New Zealand certainly outpacing us. There's Scandinavia is well and truly already uh, that you know left us in the dust. So you know, I think the, the the question I know everyone loves their Utes, but I think there's a question of of how quickly we start to adopt the technology that's already being rolled out around the rest of the world. So thanks very much. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by ZeroMo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. ZeroMo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.